We have a good number of people assembled together today for worship, and for that we are very, very grateful. If you're visiting, we're glad that you're here. We have a number of visitors that come our way every week, and I want you to know that we appreciate so much the confidence that you have in us, in coming and being with us, and it may be the case that you're looking for a church home. And as always, we invite you to consider the work here at Olive Branch. I think we have a great thing going here. And I think that we would open our arms to have you with us. We'd love to have you with us. And so if you're looking for a church home, please consider the work here. Maybe that you have some questions that you'd like to ask the elders. Maybe you want to know how you could fit in. What you could do to contribute to the work here, well, they would be more than happy to meet with you, to answer any questions you have, and to help you find your niche in the work of the church. We're going to be looking at John chapter 15 in just a minute. I do want to express appreciation to Jared for filling in for me last week in my absence. I appreciate Jared so much. I'm very grateful for the opportunity to work with him on a daily basis, and I appreciate his willingness to stand in last week while I was away. As we look at John chapter 15 today, I want us to think for a moment or two about Jesus Christ, our faithful friend. There are really two forces vying for a relationship with us in life. On the one hand, you have the Word, who is identified by John as Jesus. On the other hand, you have the world, the system of the world. The Word, or Jesus, could be viewed as an ally. The world, on the other hand, might be viewed as an adversary. So on the one hand, you have Jesus, who wants to be our friend, and the world, who ought to be viewed as a foe. Let me call attention to John 15 as we think about Jesus Christ, our faithful friend. I want us to begin by noting together the relationship that we enjoy with the Word. And the Word, of course, is Jesus. In John chapter 1, John the Apostle identifies the Word who became flesh. That's the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who came to take away the sin of the world. There are some things that I want to call attention to as we think about the Word who is our friend. And there are some reasons why he is our friend. And there are some reasons why we ought to want to be his friend, why we ought to have, why we ought to want to have a relationship with him. Let me begin by suggesting that as we think about the relationship that we can enjoy with the Lord, that it is a costly relationship. The reason it's costly is because Jesus invested in us. Think about that for a minute. Jesus Christ made an investment in all of us. Well, you might ask the question, how did Jesus invest in me? Well, he invested in us by going to the cross and dying for our sins. And there are some things that maybe we ought to think about in connection with that. First of all, let me suggest that the Bible speaks of his voluntary death for us. Jesus himself talked about his willingness to go to the cross. Look, if you would, at verse 12. Jesus said, this is my commandment, 
that you love one another as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Jesus voluntarily went to the cross for us. Back in chapter 10, Jesus said that the Father loved him because he willingly laid down his life. He said, no man takes my life from me, but I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. This command I've received from my Father. So Jesus willingly went to the cross. Now granted, he did so in view of the Father's will. Jesus would say in John chapter 6, I came down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of my Father who is from heaven or in heaven. So Jesus came and voluntarily gave his life for us. But then there's a second thing I want you to see. And that is his vicarious death for us. Listen again to what Jesus said. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. Jesus died for me. Jesus died for you. In other words, he became our substitute. Jesus went to the cross for us. Do you remember what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2 when he talked about how Christ has left us an example that we should follow in his steps? He said that Jesus did no sin, neither was guile or deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself unto him who judges righteously. And then he said, who bore our sins in his own body, that we being dead unto sin might live unto righteousness. Jesus bore my sins on Calvary. When Paul wrote to the churches of Galatia in Galatians chapter 2 at verse 20, he talked about how Christ loved him. He said, Christ loved me and gave himself for me. It's a very personal thing. So we talk about the voluntary, the voluntary death of Jesus, his vicarious death. But then there is a third thing, and that is his vicious death. Go back and read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and reacquaint yourself with the suffering of Jesus. When you begin to look in depth at what Jesus experienced on Calvary for us. Paul said, but God commendeth his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You ever thought about all that was involved in his death for us? Matthew, for example, talks about how during the trial they ridiculed and mocked Jesus. They taunted him. They slapped him in the face. They would say, prophesy, who is it that hit you? Matthew tells us they spat upon him. And then John tells us in chapter 19, they scourged him. And then they led him to Golgotha where they crucified him. The pain that Jesus experienced on Calvary, unimaginable. The Romans perfected the art of crucifixion. And the intent of crucifixion was to make a man suffer. And they perfected that. And so, 
when we talk about our relationship to the word, we need to first of all see it is a costly relationship. But then secondly, it is a conditional relationship. Did you know that our relationship to the Lord is predicated or conditioned on a willingness on our part to do his will? Listen to what Jesus said in verse 14. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Now, one of the commands that Jesus gave, verse 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I've loved you. Down in verse 17, these things I command you, that you love one another. That's just one of many commands that the Lord would have us to execute in our lives. Now, sometimes people talk about how much they love the Lord. Jesus asked the question on one occasion, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? We demonstrate our love for the Lord by obeying his will, by honoring his will. Whatever Jesus says, we want to do. We want to be the salt of the earth, the light of the world. We want to live in such a way so that we bring others to Christ. We want to bear fruit in our Christian lives. Jesus said in John 15 at verse 8, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciple. So, Jesus has invested in us greatly. He wants a relationship with us. It is a costly relationship. It is a conditional relationship. But then in the third place, it is a close relationship. When we talk about a close relationship with the Lord, let me, let me just point you in the direction of what Jesus said in verse 15 to underscore the closeness that we have with the Lord. Listen to what Jesus said, no longer do I call you servants. For a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I've heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Jesus here, talking, of course, to the apostles, identifies them as friends. Now, all of us have the privilege, the right, to be a friend of Jesus. The Lord wants us to be his friend. He wants to be a friend to us. Let me ask this question. What are the benefits of having a friend? I remember many, many years ago reading a quotation by Emerson. And he said, A friend is one before whom I may think aloud. Solomon talks about how there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. There's just something about a friend. Now there are people that that we have close-knit relationships too. Maybe, maybe it's a family. Maybe it's a co-worker, a classmate, a neighbor. And we identify them as friends. And we're grateful to have friends. And what Jesus is saying here is, look, I'm calling you my friend. What are the advantages of having Jesus as your friend? First of all, let me suggest that as a friend, Jesus will strengthen you. I want to ask a question. How tough is it to live on planet Earth? Not easy, is it? I mean, look at, look at our world and all of the things that go on in our world. We talk about human suffering and trials and tribulations and tears, wars and conflicts. 
I mean, look at everything going on in the world around us. Sometimes we become discouraged. Sometimes we feel helpless, weak if you please. And yet Jesus has the ability to strengthen us, to help us make it day by day. Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. To know that I have the ability to make it each and every day. I can get up out of bed every day and know for a fact that the Lord will strengthen me. And the strength that I derive from reading and studying the scriptures, from looking at the life of Christ and the apostles and other great men and women that are referred to or spoken of in scripture. But not only will Jesus strengthen us, and not only does he provide strength on a daily basis, but I believe he will support us or sustain us. Let me give you a passage of scripture that I think very encouraging. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, Peter said, Casting all your care on him, for he cares for you. What was it Jesus said to the apostles? Now, you have to understand that Jesus is about to go to the cross. Back in chapter 14, well, in chapter 13 and chapter 14, he begins talking about how he's going to be leaving them. And, and so they're concerned, they're distraught. You can understand that. And so it's in this context that Jesus talks about his friendship with them. And the fact that he would sustain them and support them. And so in verse 15, he said, No longer do I call you servants. The servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. A friend will stand beside you. A friend will support you and sustain you. And I think the Lord was willing to stand beside them, to support them, to, to sustain them. I mentioned a moment ago what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, casting all your care on him, for he cares for you. Let me ask you today, what problems or trials or tribulations or heartaches have you experienced in life? And because the burden was so great, you turned to a friend and you said, I just need to talk to you for a little bit. I need, I need some counsel. I need some encouragement. I need you to help me with this. I think what Peter is saying is, look, there is nothing that you can't take to the Lord and put on him. The Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, let us therefore draw boldly under the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That tells me that the Lord will be supportive of me, that he'll sustain me. Now we talk about Jesus strengthening and supporting us, but then in the third place, he will stand beside us. He'll stand with us. How do I know the Lord will stand with me? Listen to what the Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 13. The writer there said, speaking on behalf of the Lord, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. When Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul, of course, was about to face death. Nero's 
Nero was going to have him beheaded. And so he talked about how the hour of his departure had come. And in that context, he talks about some of the people that had abused him, a man by the name of Alexander the coppersmith. He spoke of Demas that had forsaken him. And so in verse 16, he said, At my first defense, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray God that it may not be charged against them. But here's what he said. In light of the fact that all men forsook him, he said, But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. Just think about that. Paul is saying, In the hour of my need, when I needed people the most, what did they do? They forsook me. They didn't stand with me. Here I'm, here I'm supposed to have some allies, some people that will stand with me in the hour of trial, but they didn't do it. But he said, the Lord stood with me. Not only did he say the Lord stood with me, but he said the Lord strengthened me. And there again is what he said, Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So, Jesus wants to be your friend. He wants to be your faithful friend. I can say this in all confidence. You will never have a friend like Jesus. You'll never have anyone that will stick with you through thick and thin. Come what may, the Lord will be with you every step of the way. All the way to the end. A couple of weeks ago, Jared and I had the opportunity to visit with Ray Elmore. Ray is in a hospice house. Ray has terminal cancer. And Ray looks like a Holocaust victim. I mean, it's pitiful what cancer has done to his body. He's confined to a bed. Ray has probably the strongest will to live of any person I've ever known. And Ray told me when we visited last, he said, when the end comes, they'll contact you. And what he meant by that was they would call me to conduct his funeral service. And I told Ray, I said, Ray, the beauty of, of all of this is you don't have to die alone. The Lord will be with you. And I believe that. The Lord will be with us in life, yes. But he'll be with us in death too. I told him about what David said in Psalm 23. When David said, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for you are with me. We talk about having a friend stand beside us when we come to the hour of our departure. Sometimes there are friends and family members that will line our bedside as we depart from this world. But there's somebody that will see you into the next world, and that's the Lord. So, first, our relationship with the Word. Secondly, our relationship with the world. Now, the Bible tells us that the Word, that's Jesus, He's our friend. The world, on the other hand, ought to be viewed as a foe. Jesus is an ally, the world an adversary. 
Now, as we think about the world and our relationship to the world, let me begin by saying that Christians, those of us who belong to the family of God, we are victorious over the world. Drop down and look, if you would, at what Jesus said in verse 19. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Here's what I want you to see. As members of the church, we are the called out. We are the community of the saved. We have been called out of darkness into the marvelous light of Christ. That's what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. We are the ecclesia, the community of the saved, the church, the church of the living God. And so as members of the body of Christ, as members of the church, we can't afford to have a relationship with the world. We are in the world, but we don't have to be of the world. In other words, we don't have to allow the world to pour us into its mold. Listen again to what Jesus said. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world. You see how different we are to be? Now, I said a moment ago, there are two forces vying for a relationship with us. On the one hand, you have the Lord, the Word. On the other hand, there is the world, the system of the world. The world could be defined as that cosmos of iniquity, that sphere that is dominated and dictated by the devil. The Bible talks about the devil being the God of this age or the God of this world in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 at verse 4. So, as a child of God, I live in the world, but I'm not of the world. I'm not like the world. But the world wants to pour me into its mold. Listen to what, listen to what Paul said in Romans chapter 12. Paul said we're not to be conformed to the world, but rather we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And so the world is literally trying to make me one of its own. That's, that's the war that rages on. That's the conflict that we face in this life. And so I think about as a child of God. The world is, is trying to dictate how I talk, my speech. The world is trying to dictate how I dress. The world is trying to dictate what I do, where I go. The world is trying to, to garner attention, or rather trying to garner or captivate, if you please, my mind. And really, that's where the battle rages, the mind. And so over and over again, the appeal in Scripture, don't love the world. Don't be a friend of the world. James said in James chapter 4, you adulteresses, know you not that friendship with the world is enmity with God. In other words, those who align themselves with the world have put themselves at variance with God. Why? Because the world is anti-God. Now, I want you to see a second thing. We talk about how Christians are victorious over the world. And the means by which we are victorious, of course, is our faith. That's what John said in 1 John chapter 5. He said, whatever is born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. That's why the greater our faith, the greater our strength. The more faith, the better we're able to defend ourselves against 
the world and the forces of the world. But here's what I want you to see. I said a minute ago that we're victorious over the world, but Christians are also vilified by the world. I want you to look with me first of all of what Jesus has to say about the world and his relationship with the world. Here's what, here's what he says in effect. The world stood against me. The world stood against the Savior. Listen to him in verse 18. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Now, drop down and look at verse 20. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. And then down in verse 25, he quotes the psalmist. They hated me without a cause. Look at the ill treatment Jesus received at the hands of the world. Jesus said, they hated me. They persecuted me. So, we, we talk about the world standing against the Savior. And I think what, what the Lord is saying is, just as they stood against me, they'll stand against you. The world stands against the saints. Look again, verse 20. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Verse 18, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. All he's saying is, look, the world is not your friend. I'm your friend, but the world is not your friend. Now, because you choose to be my friend, because you choose to align yourself with the way I think, the way I do business, you can expect to suffer. You can expect to be persecuted. Let, let me just give you a couple, of, a couple of things that are under persecution right now. First, the church. Go back and read, go back and read the book of Acts and note the great persecution, the intense persecution the early church faced. Over and over again, Luke talks about the persecution inflicted upon the church. Do you remember what Jesus said to Saul of Tarsus before his conversion? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? The Bible tells us that Saul made havoc of the church. He was a church wrecker. He was trying to destroy the church. Now we talk about the church today. Is it not the case that Christians, the church, because Christians are the church, is it not the case that the church or Christians today have become, to some extent, public enemy number one in our country? I think about the persecution that the world inflicts on the body, and I think about the persecution that is being directed toward the Bible today. Isn't it ironic to you that the very principles that made this country what it is today are under persecution? If you don't think the church 
The body of Christ is under attack. If you don't think the Bible is under attack, just stand up in public and speak out. Stand up in public and tell people marriage is between a man and a woman and see what kind of fire you get. Just tell people. This is what the Bible says. Jesus said, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife. Somebody will say, well, that's narrow-minded, that's old-fashioned, that's archaic. Well, that's true. It's old-fashioned, narrow-minded, and archaic. It's also biblical. Here's the question. Do we want to be politically correct or biblically correct? Now, if we're going to stand with what the Bible says... We're going to be persecuted. If, if, you, if you don't think the church is under attack and the Bible is under attack, stand up and tell people Jesus is the only way to be saved. Salvation, oh, it's only in Christ. Here's what Luke said, neither is there salvation in any other. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. You mean to tell me a Buddhist is not saved? You mean to tell me that followers of Muhammad are not saved without Jesus? That's what Luke said, isn't it? Listen to what Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. That's pretty exclusive, isn't it? Somebody says that's awfully narrow-minded. It is. But it's biblical. Now we're talking about what Jesus said in the long ago. Look at, look at the Pharisees. They were the great antagonist of Jesus. Their way of thinking and their way of doing business conflicted with what Jesus had to say. And what did they do? They persecuted him, didn't they? As a child of God, when we stand up for what is right, we're going to face, we're going to face tough times. Why? Because that's the way of the world. The encouraging part is the Lord will be with us. The Lord will stand with us. When Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3 at verse 12, he said, Yes, and all who will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Somebody said one time, if we're not being persecuted, maybe we're not living godly in Christ Jesus. The very way we live, our lifestyle, what we think, what we say, how we dress, how we act, the way we do business on a daily basis, it says one thing, we belong to the Lord. And the Lord is saying, look, if they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. Get ready. But Jesus, he'll be your faithful friend. He'll stand with you. When Paul came to the close of his life here on planet Earth, he had a friend in Jesus. That's why he could talk about that crown of righteousness awaiting him. I want to ask you a question this morning. Are you a friend of Jesus? I promise you he'll never let you down. If you're not a friend of Jesus, here's how you become his friend. Here's how you 
Here's how you begin a relationship with the Lord. First of all, you have to believe that he's the son of God. You have to put your faith and trust in him. Jesus said, except you believe that I am he, you'll die in your sins. In other words, unless you believe I'm the divine son of God, you'll die in your sins. Then you have to be willing to die to the love and the practice of sin. It's called repentance. On Pentecost Day, Peter said, repent, Acts 2, verse 38. And then to confess with your mouth that you believe Jesus to be the Son of God, Acts 8, verse 37. The Bible says that we are then to be baptized or immersed in a watery grave. And we do that, why? To contact the blood of Christ, Romans 6, 3, and 4. When we're baptized into Christ, our sins are washed away. Acts 22, 16. What washes away our sins? The blood of Jesus, Revelation 1, 5. God adds us to the church, Acts 2, verse 47. We become members of the ecclesia, the community of the saved. We are a part of God's family. We have the hope of life eternal, Ephesians 5, verse 23. So if you're not a friend of Jesus, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I want to encourage you today to come to Christ. It may be that you are a member of the church. For whatever reason, you've gone back into the world. You have once again aligned yourself with that system. Why not come out of the world? Paul in the long ago said, Come ye out from among them. Be separate, says the Lord, and I'll be your God and you'll be my people. So today we encourage you, come back. The Lord wants you to be saved. The Bible says God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Come now as we stand and sing.